Well, hey, everybody. Uh, I can tell you for certain that there is a lot of individuality going on um, in kids' church today. So I have seen some of the costumes, and they are awesome. So anyway, I'm so glad that you're all here. Glad that you are uh, taking some time out to to uh, worship with us. And for those of you who are online, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. We are thrilled that you chose to um, uh, hang out with us, even if you are in your jammies and on your lazy boy. It's okay. We're glad that you're here. Um, uh, before I forget, speaking of the whole Halloween thing, I know for a fact that there are treat bags for you on the way out. Please take one so they don't end up at my house, okay? <laughs> Just telling you. Can you imagine me wired up on sugar? Yes. Let's not do that. Anyway, so <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah, I can't imagine that, right? Yeah, I gotcha. All right, so uh, let's see. Um, let me kind of go back. As I was prepping for our fifth uh, birthday a couple of weeks ago, um, I really felt like the Lord highlighted um, this, this passage in Isaiah 6. It's, it's Isaiah's encounter with God in a vision. And uh, um, I, again, uh, just kind of recap the story a little bit, but I, as, as I'm prepping for that message, I'm not in Isaiah 6, I'm somewhere else. And I, and I really wondered, is this for me personally, for some reason or another, because God will occasionally do that, or is this for Thrive Church? And my, my wife said both, <laughs> you know, kind of like, duh. Um, and, and I'm, you know, full confession here, the voice of God often sounds like Lisa Trelor. I mean, it just, for whatever reason. And so um, I'd been thinking about this, this verse for a few weeks, and, and I, I'll be honest, I'm, I don't ever remember preaching out of Isaiah 6 before, and we're only in uh, eight verses, and yet there's, there's just some rich things that are in here. So Isaiah has this vision, and, and he has a reaction to it, obviously. And, and we're looking at this, and we're considering how this encounter encourage, uh, encourages all of us to be people of presence. And, and this is kind of the, the watchword that we've had you know, recently, is what would it be like to be a people of presence? Because if we look at... Um, specifically, the ancient Israelites, the only distinguishing feature of that people group is the fact that God was present with them. We're not talking about high art. We're not talking about high politics. We're not talking about um, high economics. We're not, we're not talking about any of that. We have a group of people whose sole identity rests in the fact that Yahweh was with them. And what would it be like to be a people like that, to be a people of presence? And we've learned some important things along the way. Um, like we talked about the throne room of God and, and kind of what that looked like. And, and we talked last week about the altar and, and we've learned some bits and pieces of cultural history. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back into the text and I want to wrap this thing up. So let's do this. Let's, uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read through this one more time. Um, all the way through it, and then uh, we're going to take one segment, uh, section here and, 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 and try to f uh, finish this up. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read the first um, eight verses. Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. It's, it's just a spectacular scene, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that were in here. Um, as I was looking through this again, it, it struck me, that there's this phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of of the glory. They were calling out to one another the same thing over and over again. Now, I understand that in modern worship music, we tend to repeat stuff, right? Um, But just think of it, you gotta get used to it because it's gonna be that way in heaven, okay? There's just gonna be a lot of repetition, but you know what? It doesn't matter because he's worthy of it, whatever it is that we're saying, whatever it is that we're repeating. So keep that in mind, that's right. Okay, There's, there's some things in here that just uh, I, I think are, are worth, uh, worth pointing, pointing out. <clears throat> and even after I've read this um, several times, um, Isaiah makes this confession and, and he receives atonement. And it's what happens next that, that I think kind of brings all of this together in, in kind of a, I'm not going to say a neat package, but it really is. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, let's pull this apart just a little bit. Um, first of all, there's a lot to be said about whom shall I send and who shall go you know, for us type of thing. Um, there's a variety of different ways to look at this, but really, this is kind of like the majestic we. Do you know what that is? That's when, when, the, when the, the monarch says, we believe this. And there's only just one person there, right? It's the majestic we. You kind of have this going on. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Because remember that Isaiah has this vision of, of really the throne room of God himself. Because the temple in ancient Israel was actually built like a palace. And you have to remember that because that's where God actually dwelt. That's where his throne room was. And this is the vision that he's having because remember, his train filled the temple. The word is very specific, okay? So we have this idea of the palace. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And it's this majestic use here, I think, as part of what's happening here. Um, <clears throat> So he, he, he moves this idea uh, from singular to plural. Now, this may refer to the Trinity as well. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't know, because we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and sometimes in the Old Testament, those things get really blurred and, and kind of muddy. That's okay. But I do think that it, it, it refers to the royal court um, as a whole. And ultimately, what God is saying here is, who will represent us? Who will represent heaven? 
in this set of circumstances? Now, we're going to come back to this idea, but that's the ultimate question that God is asking. Whom shall I send? Who will be my representative on earth? Okay? And of course, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Which reminds me an awful lot of another passage that we read not too long ago in in 1 Samuel. It's when Samuel was called by God. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Remember this? We talked about this in our series, the summer series on David. Um, By the way, one of the things that I didn't mention then that just struck me now is the Lord came and stood there. Hello, I don't know how I missed that one. And he was calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Speak for your servant is listening, which is a great response. Here I am, send me. Another great answer, but I'm going to tell you right now, watch out. Because when God calls, however he does it, whether through a voice, whether through a vision, whether whatever methodology he chooses to use, and you say, speak, or here, here I am, whatever it happens to be, look out because that is an invitation that he has to your adventure. Always. It is never a time where God calls in a spectacular fashion uh, accordingly where it's not some type of massive adventure. But that's what we're called to as Christians. Sometimes I think that, you know, I don't know where this comes from. Actually, I probably do. I just don't have time to develop it. But I think we have this idea that um, <laughs> that being a Christian is just kind of this really cool middle-class existence, right? We uh, can drive into our, our houses and, and use our, our, uh, our remotes and the garage door goes up and we drive in and the, the garage door comes down and we don't have to deal with our neighbors or anything. That's not God's adventure, by the way. It's just not. And let me tell you one more thing. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. It's all right. Adventure is messy. Always. Have you ever been in in an adventure, like a true adventure, that was neat and tidy? No. That's just not reality. So when God calls and you say, either speak or you say, here I am, whatever your response is, when God calls, that is an invitation to some type of an adventure. And please understand, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with that. Does this make sense? Yeah, keep that in mind. But for the record, and this is the thing I, man, I hope, I hope this just seeps into our souls. When God says, who will represent heaven? Human beings are made for this. You see, remember way back in Genesis when God said, um, let us make human beings in our own image and he made them male and female. In his own image, he made them. There's an Italian, or sorry, a Latin phrase, amago Dei, means image of God. And every human being that you meet is made in the image of God. They bear the imprint of the divine. And there are some people who, who think and, and have suggested this, that because we are made in the image of God, it gives us a certain amount of rights. And that may be true. But remember, for every right that we have, there is a corresponding responsibility of some type. 
And so the responsibility of being made in the image of God is, guess what? You're his representative on earth. You represent heaven. So when God says this to Isaiah, and that, that question echoes down through the millennia to us today, and we hear this question, who will I send? You're made for this. Literally constructed out of the universe to be God's representative. All of us. It's just a question of how, how far are you willing to go? How deep are you willing to dive? Does this make sense? So when God asks this question, it's not just to Isaiah, it really is to us too. You're made for this. You are made to represent God on earth, which is an adventure, and it's messy, and it's exciting. And what else are you going to (laughs) do? So verse 8 is is short, to be sure. But I want to look at it just a little bit deeper. Use our microscope. I want to point out a couple of things. I want you to notice <clears throat> that Isaiah really has a couple of things that are, that are going on here. First of all, <clears throat> we know from an, an, uh, another passage in the Bible that Isaiah was very likely a scribe in the royal uh, household. Here it is. It's in, it's in Second Chronicles. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. That's who we're talking about in the book of Isaiah. Okay, so if, if there's a record of it, it is very likely, it is reasonable to presume that Isaiah had a position as a scribe in the royal household, okay? So again, what we're seeing here is uh, when he says, I live in a generation of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. It's like not just Uzziah, he's seen, he's seen the big king, not just the little king. He's seen the Lord Almighty. So he would have known the splendor of that court. And so we know, based on this passage and on Isaiah's response, that uh, he had access to that particular part of of Jewish society, which is uh, the monarchy, okay? So his occupation here seems to be that of a scribe. However, Isaiah's ministry was that of prophet. You see the difference? His occupation was scribe, but his ministry was, at, was that of, of prophet. And so what we tend to do is we tend to lump the idea of calling and occupation together in the same category. And I understand that. Um, I remember uh, years ago now when I was talking with an elder pastor, and he's like, you are called into the ministry. And, and I understood what he meant back then, my my understanding has changed just a little bit, but there was this idea that if you are being called into the ministry that you were going to be a vocational pastor. In fact, I remember I was in the middle of, a, <clears throat> of an interview uh, with a group of pastors and one particular bigwig asked me, he goes, David, when are you going to be ready to take a church? And I'm like, I don't know, you're supposed to tell me that. I have no idea. What are you talking about? You know, Because my occupation, I was working in an accounting office but I had been called into some type of ministry and I was trying to sort out what that was. 
And of course, my thought was that it was vocational type of, of ministry. But we tend to lump those things. And I'm not so sure now that that's completely accurate, at least not with my current understanding of things. And remember, I always reserve the right to change my mind or to learn something new, as it were. Um, but this is kind of where I'm, I'm at at the moment. There's calling and vocation, or there's ministry and occupation, and I don't think those things always overlap. In fact, I truly believe that it's the exception, not the rule. Now, some of you are, are kind of puzzled and you're scratching your heads. Let me see if I can break this, break this down a little bit. All of us, when we become a follower of Jesus, have some type of ministry. He gives us gifts. He gives us certain graces, experiences, ways that we can edify the body to be part of the church. We all have some type of ministry. There's some type of service that we have to God's kingdom. But it may not be your source of livelihood. That's an occupation. That's a vocation. Is this beginning to make sense? So you have these two kind of pieces that we tend to lump together, and I don't think that they necessarily are. And this is the reason why we use this, uh, the simple diagram. On the, the lower um, left there, that's you. On the lower right, that's God. And in the top there is the assignment. And your calling is to a relationship to God in some way, shape, or form. You are anointed to do the assignment that he asks you to do or that he gives you. But this is a really helpful diagram that separates out this notion of calling, this notion of ministry, and the idea of occupation or vocation. Because you can have a ministry and, and, and be assigned to it and it not be your source of income. But it may be. I think the vast majority of people are called into some type of ministry, but their vocation is something else. And when we choose to make um, calling as strictly a vocational occupation, I think, I think a lot of Christians are missing out on the wonder of ministry. Because you're still called, but it may not be your source of livelihood. I think that's, I think that's the rule. I think somebody like me who's called and, and is able to do this vocationally, I think that's the exception. I think it's uncommon. I think the, the vast majority of people have an occupation and then they have a ministry. And some of you, I believe, are anointed for significant ministry, but it won't be your occupation, and that's okay. It's the way it's supposed to be. By the way, um, before I forget, I want to make sure that I mention this, that um, in, in uh, January, I'm going to be starting a class uh, to run about um, eight or nine weeks devoted strictly to this triangle and trying to understand it and uh, try to build some practices around this idea so that we know what our calling is, so that we can be anointed for significant ministry in whatever God assigns to us. I think that's uh, an important thing. So stay tuned for more information. Hopefully that'll get rolling early on in January. <clears throat> but what we see um, throughout the text, from Genesis to Revelation, There's this pattern that emerges. And I think we need to point this out and we need, to, we need to grasp it. Because you have an encounter with God and then you get an assignment. You get a ministry. So encounter, ministry, calling, assignment. 
I mean, we just talked about two of them. Samuel, of course, he's just a young lad. He's working as a priest. He's working as a priest. That's his occupation. And he's called by God. He has that encounter. And he becomes uh, Israel's last judge and first prophet. It has a significant impact on, on the entire um, on the entire nation in the course of, of Israel's history. Of course, there's Isaiah. He encounters God in a vision but, and becomes the most prolific of all of the prophets. Isaiah is longer than anybody else. And there's a school associated with his name. So if you read somebody like Micah, Micah is in the Isaiah school. So you find similarities between those two. It's incredibly influential. But also, remember, Jacob wrestled with God. Remember that? And in the course of wrestling, God does something to his hip, the original jiu-jitsu, and he walks around with a limp for the rest of his life. And then Jacob, but of course, his ministry then becomes the, uh, the progenitor of an entire nation. Moses in the burning bush, remember this one? That's a big one. I, and I've asked this question before. How many of you would really like to have a burning bush? Yes, I would take no if it came from a burning bush right? And of course, he has this encounter with God in the burning bush, and he's given an assignment to help Israel leave slavery. And, and it's not just um, confined to the, to the Old Testament. We also find it in the New Testament as well. So you get a group of disciples. Their rabbi has um, been crucified. Then he does a strange thing. He comes back to life, and then as they're talking with him, he's taken up into heaven, and they're like, okay, now what? And he says, look, you need to stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed in power. What does that mean? So they go into a room, an upper room, and they're all kind of hiding out, and they're hanging out there, and this really loud rush of wind comes, and then little flames you know, appear over their head, and they spill out in the streets and start speaking different languages. Is that an encounter with God? You bet. And that's an immediate ministry, would you agree? Same thing. There's an encounter, then there's some type of ministry that takes place. Paul is on the road to Damascus. I mean, he was Saul at the time. He was doing some really bad things to, to Christians, persecuting them. Let's just understand what that means. Persecuting is, is, is a nice, nice euphemism for throwing them into prison, probably having them flogged, and if they die, eh, so what? That's who Saul was. He's on the road to Damascus, chasing down fugitives. And he has this encounter where he's struck blind. And Jesus himself says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I thought I was pre-Christians. Uh-uh, me. That's an encounter. And then he goes on to plant church after church after church, writes most of the letters that we find in the New Testament. I mean, it's extraordinary. Encounter ministry, encounter Assignment. You've got this calling that takes place and there's something that follows that. Now, some of those encounters are a little more subtle. Like take, for instance, Abraham. The text says very clearly, simply, the Lord said to Abram. doesn't say that he came with any kind of fanfare. It just says, the Lord said, leave your, your country and go to a place that I will show you. Hosea, another prolific prophet, says the Lord, word of the Lord came to him. Now very often what we find is that prophets um, 
the word of the Lord will overcome them. That's pretty significant, but in the case of Hosea, it's very simple. Word of the Lord came to him. Amos, on the other hand, had a bit of a, uh, of a vision, but it wasn't very dramatic because the text doesn't even describe what the vision is, just what he was told to say. So Amos had a non-dramatic vision. And by the way, he was really aggravated. You want to read an angry prophet? Amos is your guy. He kind of reminds me of the, um, of the uh, biblical version of grumpy old man. You kids get off my lawn, right? That's Amos. But it was a non-dramatic vision. But still, the pattern is the same. God shows up in some way, shape, or form. There's still some type of an encounter, and there's a ministry that follows that. Do you see? This is throughout. This is the pattern. Now, I suspect, um, as I'm talking here, um, there may be some question marks. I know I have them, um, so I suspect other people do too. And I wonder how many of you are wondering, one of two things, that may be more, but two that I can think of. Some of you have had a God encounter, and you're saying to yourself, now what? What do I do with that? And there's another group, of, another group of people who you don't think that you've had a God, God encounter, encounter at all. And what's funny is you're asking the same question, now what? Either you've had the encounter or you, have, or you haven't had the encounter that you know of and you're wondering the same question, now what? What do I, what do, I do? Those are great questions to ask. I think those are the types of questions that God loves when we ask. Just look out for the answer. <laughs> So let me offer just a couple of thoughts, just a couple of them. First, I think that the bigger the sign or the greater the encounter, the more challenging the ministry. I think that's true. And and there's a variety of reasons for that, but I think the, the big one that when you have a challenging assignment, when you have a challenging ministry assignment, you need the dramatic encounter to keep you going. This is why Moses got a burning bush, and you don't. Most of us. This is the reason why God sent an angel to Mary and a dream to Joseph, because they were going to need that type of drama that they could remember when things got difficult. And trust me, they got difficult. So the bigger the encounter, the more dramatic the encounter, the more challenging the ministry. And we need that drama, that type of sign to keep us going when it gets hard. If you do get a dramatic sign, buckle up. I hope you do. The other thing that I noticed, um, and maybe you have too, is that most of the biblical encounters were a surprise. My favorite, and I've, I've preached about this before, is that <laughs> there's Moses on the backside of the desert. I don't even know what backside in the desert means, but I've got a pretty rich imagination. You do too. You know, what does the backside of the desert actually mean? And yet he's looking at this bush that's burning, being consumed, and it starts talking to him, which has got to be a little strange. That's a little too much time with the sheep, I think. But, you know, it starts talking to him. And one of the things that it says to him is like, take your sandals off for you're standing on holy ground. It's holy ground and he doesn't know it. That's a fascinating idea to me. 
but it was a surprise to him. You know, Jesus was very clear to the disciples, wait for, you know, the Spirit to come and, and clothe you in power, or some variation of that, that phrase. And when it happens, it was a shocker. Now, it came in power, and they did, they did amazing things, but the, the fact of the matter is they were surprised when it happened. But even though it's a surprise, and this is the thing I want you to think about this week. In fact, I want you to think about this throughout the holiday season, which is coming up. If you want to be useful to the kingdom, if you actually want some type of ministry or assignment, if you want to be useful to the kingdom, you have to be in proximity to the king. If you want to be useful to the kingdom, you've got to be in proximity to the king. And I know that this is like a broken record, but it's so important that you chase after the presence of God, allow to shape you in your calling so that you can be anointed for his assignment. Otherwise, you are trying to do it on your own, and let me tell you how that one's going to work. Not very well. In fact, I think half the time uh, when we try to do stuff on our own power with our without the anointing, that's when we get into the most trouble. And we scratch our heads. Oh, what went wrong? Well, and I will tell you one other warning here. <laughs> that anointing, that you know, right side of the triangle that we just looked at, you got to have a lot of patience. And we're so good at that, aren't we? Oh my gosh, we're so good at that. We're not. We want to be a people of presence. Why? Because that's when the truly extraordinary things happen. And it's not that we're doing this because we want to be, you know, just extraordinary. We want to see the glory of God. We want to see him do his thing. That's kind of why we signed up for this. It isn't just about my, you know, get out of jail free card, get out of hell free card. That's, that's, if that's all this is, oh my gosh, please. There's a plenty of work to do here, right now. Have you noticed? And God is, is often poking and prodding your heart. You know that thing that makes you angry or upset? Just a piece of advice, don't watch the news. But if there's that one thing that kind of just keeps you up at night or bothers you, that might be God poking you prodding you a little bit saying mm, yeah I put something in there you might want to pay attention to that but it's never going to be what you hope it to be unless you're anointed to do it and you want to be anointed to do it and it's scary and it's adventurous and it's fun and exciting and horrible and messy all at the same time you just need to be aware of that up front and so here we are with Isaiah in the throne room of God himself, seeing this vision, being atoned for, cleansed, but having that knowledge that God himself has chosen us. But the question, again, that he asked is the same question that he asks us. Who will I send? And you are made for that. You are made for that. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your heart, and I don't know what's going on in your life but God does. And I just want to encourage you 
to try to make some time over the next few weeks to be in proximity to the king and find out what happens. It's not a one-done thing. If you're, if you're hoping that God's going to show up just the one time that you, know, you make your 15 minutes for him, he might, I don't know, but it may be uh, several days, a couple weeks. I know one guy, I know the story well because I've heard it several times. Um, there's a, a gentleman, he's in one of our sister churches in Florida, uh, works a nine-to-five. He's, he's not uh, a ministry. Sorry, he's not in vocational ministry. I've got to be careful. <clears throat> and he started journaling. And he said, I'm not hearing from God. But he was convicted that this was the best way for him to be able to hear from God. It was to do his journaling. And so every single day, he took some time. I don't know how long it was. But he kept showing up to be in proximity to the king for 60 days. And then God started to speak. Do you have 60 days to be in proximity to the king? I don't know. Maybe it won't be that long for you. I hope not. 60 days is a long time. My prayer is that you might find yourself, especially as we're going into the busyness of the holiday season, of saying, you're the king. I'm your subject. What do you have in mind? Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us because you made us to be part of this enterprise, this thing that you're doing in the earth. We, we, get, we get to en- enjoy that with you. We get to be part of that. And how often I keep finding myself thinking that we're missing out. Um, not, not because we're lazy, not because we're ungifted, not, not any of that. Shame has no business speaking up right now. <clears throat> but rather, we just don't understand that, that we need your presence to be able to do it. And, and some of us have been following you for a long time and we don't, we're not even sure really what that presence feels like or looks like. But like we, we sang earlier today, even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. God, help us to put ourselves into a place where we can see and we can feel and we can experience that. And I pray, Lord, for Thrive Church, just as a, as a body of believers, that we would have the courage and the discipline to put ourselves in proximity to the King so that we might be useful to your kingdom. I can't wait to see what that looks like. So I pray, Lord, that even as we sing this last song, oh God, your spirit would do the thing that only your spirit can do. Speak to our hearts. Help us to have a a sense, an idea of what you're up to and how we might be able to join you in that. And Lord, if you want to do dramatic uh, encounters, hey, that's cool. If you just want to whisper, that'd be great too. Because it really is about you and what, what you have in mind. So for my part, and uh, as the one who's 
leading this church under you. Here we are, Lord. Speak for your servants are listening. Send us. And I just want to um, say, look, if um, something about this is striking you for whatever reason, I'm just, I'm over here in the corner. Come on down. Let's pray together. Love to do that with you. In the meantime, as we worship, just meet with God. Put yourself in proximity to the King. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.